All right. Welcome to Radius. We've been doing a series called Born This Week Way. Um, we've done it for three Sundays. This is our fourth Sunday, and today we wanted to talk about biblical womanhood, so I decided I definitely need some help with this subject. Uh, let me just read you a verse. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So I asked, Cheryl had, had lunch with these three ladies. I'll introduce them to you here in just a second. And have them just talk about what does it look like to be a woman that follows Jesus. And so I decided it'd be a really good idea to bring them up on stage and ask them some questions so you could learn from some experts. And then I'll take a little time at the end and, and teach you what the Bible says directly about this whole idea of womanhood. So uh, let's get this thing started. So this is Laurie Kesey, Jenny Taylor, and Wendy McCutcheon. I thought I'd just ask them how, how long they've been at Radius and then what was their first impression when they walked in the door? All right. That, that, I put myself in a dangerous position by asking that question, but I thought I'd ask anyway. Laurie, would you, how long have you been here? Been at Radius since 2003. My first impression walking in was our first night um, there. And we got in the car afterwards, and I looked at my husband. And I said, if that's the kind of worship they're going to do, I'm out. <laughs> Thankfully, later, many years later, I got to share with Jeremiah Jones that he actually taught me to worship through his worship. Cool. So we've been at Radius about five years, and I actually have a Reeves to thank, but not this Reeves necessarily. <laughs> um, Malachi, the Reeves' youngest son, was in class in 10th grade with our son Jonathan. And Malachi said, hey, you want to come to my youth group and to church? And so Jonathan comes home and says, I want to go to Malachi's church. And so we came the Sunday that I remember. I don't know if it was our first Sunday, but it was in December. And there was a video about Give Hope. And I was a teacher in here in Lexington one at the time. And I looked at my husband and I said, they love our community, and they love our schools. So that was, we're still here. So, hey, I was so glad to hear that my son talked at school. It's kind of surprising. <laughs> Wendy. So we've been here about nine years. I always base it off of, I always remember my daughter was six when we decided to start coming to Radius. I don't necessarily remember the year. I just remember she was six. But um, our first I know it was our first visit. I couldn't remember what campus, but I remember walking in and there were guardrails on stage. And I wasn't quite sure what was going on because I just grew up in a traditional Southern Baptist church. And so to walk in seeing guardrails, I just wasn't quite sure what the message was going to be about. But it was really good. I think I believe John was speaking, but just about how... Um, we have guardrails in our life, and the Bible is that for us. And you get too far one side, and it kind of, you know, knocks you back to keep you in the middle. So it was just, yeah, it was a good memory for me. That's cool. All right, Wendy, I get to ask you the hard question first. You got, you got the easy question last. The hard question, you guys spent some time talking over lunch about this idea of biblical womanhood, in particular like how you learned or how you learned to value this idea of biblical womanhood. What do you think? So, yeah, as I thought about this, I thought of um, two things and then just a picture of how that looked for me. Um, absolutely, biblical womanhood, just going to God's word, studying his word and what it says about being a woman. Um, I 
didn't grow up in a home where it was modeled for me. And um, the church I grew up in, it wasn't an intentional thing that they taught to seek out relationships with older women or other women. So I went off to college and started my career and just still lived a very independent, selfish life, just kind of making decisions that would benefit me. Um, It wasn't until later in my 20s when I was dating a guy and we were going through pre-engagement counseling, which seems odd because we were just dating. (laughs) Um, But he was very intentional about, um, you know, wanting to do this and talk about hard things before you even, you know, get proposed or before you even get a ringer on your finger, Um, a ring on your finger. Um, Anyway, so we, after one session, we get in the car and we're talking about it. And one of the things he noticed in my life was that I was growing in the Lord. I was reading God's word. I was praying, but I did not have a community of women around me that would hold me accountable, that would spur me on, that would pray with me, that, um, that would, you know, do those hard, ask those hard questions. And so he just encouraged me, said, you know, if we continue to progress and get engaged, I'd really like to see you get a community of women around you and get some older women that you can ask questions to. And um, I was so grateful that he challenged me in that. Um, The picture that just really reflected how I thought about it was when we actually did move along down the line and get engaged and we're planning who's going to stand up on stand up with us at the front as husband and wife and uh, be with us. And I'm immediately thanking family members, roommates, just a friend here, a friend there. And he comes to me and says, you know, I'm going to actually not choose anybody in my family. I'm going to pick men that have walked this journey with me, that have been in an accountability group with me, that have, you know, my journey of faith in college and grad school and missions and work. And, um, and so when you would look at our pictures, you see that he has like nine guys and I have maybe a few women over here. But it's just, um, it was just a beautiful picture of how he lived his life and how it just spurred me on to find that same community. And I can say to this day that I have several little groups of community of women that um, I meet with that encourage me and spur me on. So, Thank you. I'm very thankful to say that I have a mom um, who's 91 um, who has modeled biblical womanhood for me. Um, Maybe not as formally as kind of you'll hear a little bit more this morning, but um, she loves Jesus and she modeled that well. I have three sisters who are um, models for me, a biblical womanhood, many friends. But one of the things that I have done very purposefully through all my stages of life, I'm thinking high school on, is I have purposefully sought out other women through Bible study and through the church. And I have... Um, been really blessed. God's given me a lot of those women, but I have sought sought them out. Um, I've had women who've asked me really hard, uncomfortable questions, um, things that helped me take that mask of pride or shame off that I was hiding behind. Um, but I knew they loved me, so they could do that. Um, through my, again, into early um, being married, and then as um, we had kids, um, was in Bible study again. Um, there were di- different things in our stages of marriage. When the kids were small, I stayed home. As the kids got older, we moved to Lexington. Jeff had a change in his career, and I went back to work for a little while, and now I'm home again. We're empty nesters. It's been really neat to see how God has continued to provide. 
Um, but the person that comes to mind for me is a friend I want to introduce you to. Her name is Janet. And Janet taught Bible studies at another church we are a part of here in Lexington. And um, I just really uh, grew under her teaching. Um, but then she invited me to go on a walk. And then we went on lots of walks. And Janet is a good bit older than I am. And she's retired. And she lives at the beach now. So I get to go see her when we go to the beach. But um, she would always, on our walks, ask me questions Things like what I was learning in my Bible, Bible studies or my personal times with the Lord. She would ask me about each of our three kids, and then she would look at me, and she would say, and how are you and Jeff, my husband? And I was like, I think we're good. And then she would hold her hands up, and she would say, are you like this? Are you and Jeff like this? And I thought about it, and I thought. So she explained to me, she said, you can live your lives as a husband and wife and just be side by side, living these parallel lives of, can you pick up him from soccer? Can you pick up her from school? Or you can intentionally join your lives together. And that's true in all of our relationships, right? We have to be intentional, um, which you're going to hear more about from Lori. Um, but I would encourage you, um, if you don't have a Janet, ask one of us or ask somebody else. Or are you a Janet for somebody else? So as I thought about this question, um, I think I've changed my words about 19 times, but um, the picture that keeps coming to my mind, and it's not my picture, the Apostle Paul gave us this, of running a race in the Christian life. And so I've looked at that picture as that's how I'm running this race as biblical womanhood. And I started the race when I was a young girl. And being a young girl uh, in a great church with great mentors, they taught me what it looked like to love Jesus with all my heart and to love his word and how to study his word, even later in my teen life, um, how to study that for myself. And so those mentors, they were different, um, older women and younger women um, all through. And then as I grew and I got married and I got older, um, I had women around me and I looked around and, um, what was happening in this race with these women was an intentional intersection of the, with these women. And we were intentional about it. And I think each one of us have used that word. So yes, it's a key repeated word. Um, and, I thought about those women, but the race that I was running, I was looking around and seeing the different women I was running with, younger and older, less mature, more mature, um, different gifts and abilities, but we were all running with the same mindset, the goal, um, to run the race well and to finish well. And I was encouraged by those women and I was picked up by those women. Now, I move a little bit farther, and I'm now the older woman. I've been around the track a few times more than other women that I'm running with, and I'm here to tell about it. And so now I get to look at the younger women next to me and say, come on, let's go. Let's keep running this race. Let's do this thing together in community intentionally. So younger women in the room, I encourage you, just like Titus in the book of Titus, Titus 2, Paul gives this teaching of older women teaching younger women how to love their husbands, how to love those around them, how to serve God, what's their home look like. But 
So older women, I encourage you, look around and find those, find those younger women who are just putting one foot in front of the other one in this season of life, and they fall into bed, and all they can think about is, i got to do this tomorrow too. So older women, find those younger women. Younger women, this may be a strange encouragement to you, but you're supposed to be doing the same thing. Because in your life, there's someone older and there's someone younger than you. Younger women, if I had not asked those older women in my life, hey, will you show me what it looks like? So younger women in the room, look around and find that woman who, like I said, has been around the track a few more times than you and is still living to tell about it. Go ask her, how did you do that? How did you love when it was impossible? How did you get up the next day when I cannot get up the next day? What's it going to look like? So women, we get to do this journey, this trip, this race together, intentionally picking each other up and loving each other and encouraging each other to press on. All right, I got one last question. Laura, you, I read a couple of your answers. In your answer, you, you gave me this idea of you, one of the new things you're doing is passing the baton. You've led a bunch of things here, so I'll get you to pass the mic. And Jenny, you tell about what you're doing, doing right now as far as leading here. Um, so Lex, um, Ra- all Radius churches have um, been doing women's ministry, right? It's happening all the time because this room is full of women who are doing women's ministry. Is, but it's, um, there's a full-time staff person over at Centerville, and each campus now has a connect contact, um, someone who can help you get connected if you want to be a part of these discipling relationships that Lori specifically has mentioned. Maybe you would like to be in a women's small group. There's just a lot of different ways you can get connected or to serve more. Um, anyway, I am the connect contact at our campus. So um, reach out to me if you catch me in the hallway afterwards, or um, I can give you get my. I'm sure you can get my contact info, and I can tell you more about it. And Wendy, you've started a whole new thing, right? <laughs> So um, a few years ago, my husband did pass away, Um, and walking that journey as a widow with young children in the home has been very close and hard. Um, So just recently, I have um, met with several other women, some that are widows, young widows, some that are not, but just have a heart for widows, and we've been planning a young widows event in a couple of weeks to reach out to some of the others that are in the same boat. They've lost their husbands. They're trying to raise kids um, and just need a place to turn. They need hope. Um, They need help and guidance. So um, anyway, yeah, that's what I'm involved in right now. Looking forward to it. Thank you all. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, really thankful for these three ladies and their willingness to be transparent in front of the whole body. So um, pray your favor on them. Pray as they continue to want to glorify you, Jesus, that you give them a great energy to that, even, even today. Pray for us, Lord, as we open your word right now for a few minutes, that you'd speak in, that you'd speak directly to us, and that we would soak it in, that, that you would keep us from, I don't know what we do, Lord, we put these blockers up, bring our blockers down so that we could hear your words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I hope you, uh, you probably don't, uh, 
a lot of power just walked off our stage. It's, uh, it was really interesting to think about as I knew these three ladies would come up and stand and talk to you. Um, there's this power that you don't really know about because you know some of those ladies and maybe you don't. But you uh, don't know their lives like, like I do to agree. I, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but Lori, Lori's done a lot of leadership stuff here. You might know her because she hugs everybody when they walk in the door. But thousands and thousands of hours she has spent serving this church community for 20 years. I don't know if you noticed, but 2003, that was our first year of existence when she said she showed up and was scared about our, our, our worship style. And in the meantime, 20 years later, thousands and thousands of hours that nobody knows about, she served. She's been in my house when we needed help. She's been in many homes. Lots of people have eaten great food she's made, right? She has um, hung out with all variety of folks. She's just a powerful person. But you didn't know that. Jenny just... Uh, I mean, really wasn't seeking the opportunities to lead here, but she's just kind of been faithful step by step, came in pretty quietly and step by step has kind of stepped into roles as needed. And, and then as this role came in front of her, just willing to step in and really just crushing it, got it. And in a quiet kind of way, leads that thing. And uh, man, we're grateful for it. And Wendy on the end, she just mentioned, lost her husband a few years ago and led us one day in particular um, in a way that we've never been led before. Um, it was the greatest worship service that this room has ever hosted. And it was the funeral of her husband, who was a great man. But um, she led the worship service. She sat right there, didn't mean to be leading it, but her walk with the Lord was just evident. As she stood and worshiped right there, I don't remember who sang the song on stage, I remember Russell preached. That's one of the very few memories I have of the whole thing. But I, what I remember really clearly, sitting right back there where you guys are sitting and looking up through the crowd and watching her. And when we worshiped, she was up and her hand, like it was just, it was overwhelming to watch her know God on her hardest day. And, and it, was, it was cool to see her lead us on what I would probably qualify as our hardest day in the history of Radius. Um, lead us to worship God, to recenter, in the middle of suffering, to recenter. And if you know Wendy, you talk to her in the hall, she'll, uh, she, uh, zero self-promote. She'll pull, pull uh, a, a little bit of the all shucks on you if you're not careful. And in the meantime, you can, um, you can, she just oozes the fact that she's walked with God. That's power. That's true power. And, and ladies in the room, as we talk about biblical womanhood, um, I, I actually kind of like that power word. It, it, sometimes with you guys, it's a little sneaky. Like the next thing you know, you talk with Wendy for a little bit, and you're just like, man, I just, I just talk with somebody who really knows God. And, and in the process, you kind of forget as she gives you this relationship that she has with God, some, some through suffering. So thank you. I get the great task of talking about biblical womanhood as a man. So I was really glad to have their help. And I want to teach just the scriptures, what the scriptures say uh, about it. Um, I, I thought what was really cool in a practical way this morning, all three ladies up here um, really showed you how they grew as women. And it was all in community. It had to do with the scripture and time and the scripture and, 
And, and, but not just that. It was time in the Scripture with others. So like if you, you're sitting here going, I want to grow, and you've been coming off and on, then you probably want to come a little bit more. Right? Take the next step. You, be, you come regularly, and this is your place, so this is a great place to learn and grow and be in community. But you want to take another step, then you, you may want to ask one of those three ladies, hey, what do you listen to? What do you read? And take it down and start podcasting it or reading it. If you want to take another step, you plug into community, whether it be a group or whether you uh, take somebody to eat and ask them their thoughts. The remainder of our time, we'll just look at the Bible and what it says about womanhood. This is Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper that's just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one, elephant, giraffe, squirrel, whatever. He gave names to all the livestock, cow, goat, I mean, what up, sheep, what kind, what's livestock? Uh, all the birds of the sky, all the dudes in the world are thinking of doves right now. Anyway, there's, there's like there, all the, or ducks and all the wild animals. But still there is no helper just right for him. It's a really interesting setup, I think. It's like a romance movie. As, as the writer of Genesis writes it down, he wants to build this anticipation. You can, you can feel it. He starts with the man, he created man, Adam, as we know it, and as we, for those of you that believe in creation, we believe God created the first man, Adam, and as Adam walks around and handles his business in the garden, leading the garden, uh, serving the garden, he's lonely. He's missing something. You can feel it. It's just like in the romance movies. You know how they, they set it up with either the guy or the lady being a little lonely, and they kind of get you, especially the Hallmark ones, like you can almost anticipate, all right, when this happens, then this is going to happen, because they like run the same script. No offense, they just run the same script all the time. But anyway, like the, it, you can feel it in Genesis chapter 2, he's building, and at the end, he creates all these animals, and you can imagine, like, Adam's looking at the, at the beaver, and he's like, that ain't it, and, and that ain't it. it. Like, that's good, that's cool, but that ain't it. And, and finally, the, the writer ends the paragraph, with, but still there is no helper right for him. You can feel that in the story, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. It's really interesting. I wonder how Adam went to sleep. I wonder if he told Adam, I'm going to give you a surprise when you wake up. Like, like, you know, when I think deep sleep, I think about I'm getting a tupo. That ain't like a real pleasant, a little real pleasant. But let me put you to sleep. And, and when you wake up, and while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs. <laughs> Didn't tell him that, I'm sure. And, and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And he brought her to the man. I love the little phrase in there. It says he brought her. So he does surgery on the man, pulls a couple ribs, creates a woman. Only God could do this. As a matter of fact, reading this seems like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Right? We, we talk about this regularly here. To believe in creation, it takes faith. To believe in evolution, it takes faith. I don't know which one you believe in. You've got to kind of believe in one or the other. Either there is a God who created or there isn't. Neither one of us can get all the way back to the beginning. We weren't there. No video evidence. The Bible says God created man out of dust of the ground, and then he took the man's rib and he created a woman. And then I, I really never noticed this before. It says he brought her to him. So I'm thinking Adam's knocked out. He's, he's laying there. He's kind of coming to, and he's looking around like, what happened? I'm, I feel like I'm missing something <laughs> right here. And, and, and he wakes up, and he stands up, and God, God's speaking to him. Hey, I got a little surprise for you. I got a little back behind the trees and the bushes over there. I got a little surprise. And, and here she comes. And when she comes out, he's like, 
That's what I'm talking about. I, like, I'm tired of the beavers and the squirrels and stuff. That's what I am talking about, Lord. As a matter of fact, the NLT says, at last, finally, you got it. He exclaimed. This one, <laughs> I love that. This one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. I'm going to call her the same name that I got with just a little adjustment. Whoa, man. Like this is this great moment in Adam's life. And you get this, uh, this completion to a creation. It's, if, you, if you know your Bible very well, you get this completion to God's creation of the whole. And it ended, ladies, with you. Like you completed it. Isn't there a movie that says you complete me or something? Like, there's, there's, like you completed it. You brought it to its finality. It wasn't going to work. If you read Genesis, it talks about being good. The mountain's good. The sun good. The moon good. Everything's good. But when Eve is created, when the ladies, when finally you completed it, God said it's, it's very good. Verse 24. This explains, I love that, why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. It goes back to creation. Why is marriage between one man and one woman? It goes back to creation from the very beginning. It speaks to creation um, uh, for marriage, but it also speaks to creation of why we need both men and women to lead this thing called planet Earth. God designed man and woman to need each other, to be perfectly designed to complement each other, in order for this place to function appropriately. I saw one writer call it the North and South Pole. Take away the South Pole tomorrow and see what happens. <laughs> there won't be a next day. <laughs> we will go plummet into space for it. It'll take a couple seconds. We'll be gone. You need both male and female. You need both men and women. You need both in marriage, as he designed it, between male and female. But, but also just like the church, when we think about the body of Christ, this doesn't work with just men or just women. It works. It's designed to work with us all. For the world to flourish, for this, this universe that he placed us in to flourish, it takes men and women. Uh, and I hope you're catching this. This is the fourth Sunday we've kind of said it. It brings glory to God. The fact that God created you as a lady, it brings glory to him. The fact that he created you as a man, it brings glory to him. As a matter of fact, based on the verses we've been reading, I would argue that you ought to try to be more female and more male. Like It, it reflects his glory evidently just the dudes didn't reflect his glory exactly right. So he created a female, a lady, to reflect his glory perfectly together. Needed, needed both parties. The scripture's abundantly clear that he created man and woman equal, completely equal, both made in his image. But I love the idea that he did it to reflect his glory. And ladies, I, I hate that most of the history of the world, uh, both, both into the church sometimes, though not in the early church. Um, you've been treated like a second-class citizen because of a little word in the passage that I just read. It's a little word as it's translated out of the Hebrew, but people talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And these days, like, you're kind of scared to even say it. Uh, it, tra it, it, it translates this word, Ezer, and there's a couple Hebrew words there, but it translates the word Ezer as helper. Did you catch that? I skipped it on purpose. 
It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. How do you feel about that, ladies? I'm glad I'm up here. You can't, like, I don't have to sit across the table and ask you. But, like, how do you like that word helper? And then he goes again in verse 20, but still there was no helper just right for him. It feels, I don't know, how's it feel? Does it feel a little weak? Feel a little second class? Well, if you want to uh, really understand what the word helper in this passage means, then we ought to look at how God uses it in the Scripture. He uses it 21 times in the Old Testament. He uses it these two times, verse 18 and verse 20. And then he uses it three times about military help. So three times the nation of Israel needs help, and they call an ally, and they call the ally a helper. Right? What's Europe do with us, United States? <laughs> Anytime the big boys over there, the, uh, uh, Russia wants to get a little wild, what, what, who they call, hey, hey, we know the United States, and they're our what? Our ally. They're our helper. What's that make Russia do? Easy now. Like, no, we don't want none of them. Because they got stuff. Like they, they, they can handle us. So, so they call on their ally, which is exactly how the word is used in the scriptures. And then the other 16 times, it always refers to God himself. As a matter of fact, it, it, they identify God as the Azair, as the helper. Let me read you a couple. Uh, Psalm, I'll read you a couple out of Psalm. Psalm 115. O Israel, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. O priest, descendants of Aaron, trust the Trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. All who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there, even though they're big and great and they seem strong? My help comes from the Lord who has made heaven and earth. He's there as there. He's their helper. He's this strength that comes alongside of them. So, like, like, real simply, uh, when you read that word helper, if you read it in the context of the scriptures as a whole, you have to say it's strong, but I don't even know if strong's the right word. It bothers me a little bit that I'm using it so much because I think that's kind of the way guys like to define stuff. Like, it's, it's, this, it's this sneaky strength. It's this strength that God has trusted ladies with that he actually wants to bring himself glory with. It's that kind of strength. Um, I coached my daughter in middle school basketball, one of the most entertaining seasons of my life, right? So I coached uh, college basketball for men, and then uh, we got married. We planned some churches, and we had lots of kids. And by the time my daughter played basketball and got to middle school, I, I, the, the lady who coached the team knew just a little bit about basketball. She was a great lady, just didn't know basketball. So I volunteered to be the assistant coach. So literally during the game, when we needed a timeout, I'd be like, timeout, 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 timeout. I'd say like 20, she didn't find it, she'd go, timeout. So we had this great, she was a golf coach. She was great at golf. She just didn't know basketball. So I'd be coaching, and the very first game, we're down by one. We're going into the locker room. We're getting beat up a little bit. We come in the locker room, and half of my team is crying. And I'm like, I look at the, the head coach, I'm like, what the heck is going on in here? Like, I, I've been in a lot of locker rooms, I ain't never seen that. And it, I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut and not say stop crying. Um, so we got to win this game. That's what's important here. Um, and I, so I started watching this thing come on, and, and, and uh, Pam started sorting out the room. And Victoria, who um, 
was, she's six foot, she was strong, she was crying in the corner. I'm like, what are you crying about? Just get out there. Like, like she's crying in the corner. And I started to put, do the math that she was crying because Seneca was beating her up in the game. So she's physically in pain and a little insecure trying to figure it out. And the other group of girls were crying. You know why? Because she was crying. <laughs> Y'all aren't hurt. You're not injured. Nobody hit you. No, no they're crying because she's crying. I'm like, what's going on? And I'm trying to figure this out. How do you motivate? That's not how it worked in the guys' locker room. They're like, bro, what you crying about, dude? Like, like I'll, I'll play for you. Get off the court. Like, that's more how the guys' room so they're crying for her. So I did the math because I am about winning. Um, I'm going to figure this thing out. And I looked at my daughter who was in the seventh grade. I thought, all right, baby, Mariah, uh, here's what we're going to do. Very first play. Go with me. I know some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Victoria's going to be on the block, which is down near the goal. I want her on the block. That little girl that keeps messing with her down on the block, I want you to start at the elbow. And when we bring the ball up court, Victoria's going to come up high, and you're going to go down low. And it's called a screen. And when in basketball, they set them like this. They, they set the screen like this. And so I think she heard block or tackle. I'm not sure. I said screen. <laughs> but I said, we, we're going to solve this problem just in one play. Sure enough. Whistle blows. Our little point guard comes down the court. Mariah turns and goes to set that screen. And bang this girl goes down, no lie, game stopped for 10 minutes. They had to take her out to the hospital after that hit. I, I ain't gonna lie, I was kind of like, that's my girl right there. Like, like, that's my girl. But it was crazy. The reason she did it is because she, what? She wanted to be a helper. She wasn't mad at a little girl. She, she just loved Victoria, wanted to take care of Victoria, even though Victoria annoyed her at times in practice, I'm sure. Like, but right now, she needed help, and the whole team wanted help. And she wanted to follow the coach and do what the coach did, so she did it. And I was like, let's go. This is great. She was, and I started learning. This, this thing's different. She used to explain to me why. I'm like, why are there so many girls on the team? She goes, Dad, they're about the team. I'm like, they never get to play. Why would they want to be on the team they never get to play on? Well, they, they just like being on the team. They're, they're together. They're for each other. They're pulling for each other. I literally coached Elijah, my son. I gave him the same speech. He's younger. He's, we called him Chunk. He was thick. thick. You can only call boys Chunky, right? Like I called him Chunky. That was his nickname. I'm like, look, this kid keeps messing with our point guard. I want you to go set a screen on him. Let's just get him off of him. So Chunk did the exact same thing. He, he set the screen, put the guy to the ground. You know what he did? He stood up over him. He's like... <laughs> It was, it was like his 15 seconds of fame. He's going to own it. He got tagged. I'm like, oh, my. He, he just had a totally different insight. He didn't care about the kid who was getting guarded. He didn't care about the team. We lost the game because of that tech. He cared about getting it done right here and having his moment. It was just different. Both fun for me as the dad. I was proud of both of them. But Mariah set that screen out of... Uh, this deep desire to be a helper. We're trying to win as a team. Uh, this lady, Christy Cole, wrote a pretty cool book on this. I'll read you what she says. Is there is not a role. It's a lifelong calling. It's a part of your DNA. Women are not defined functionally by roles. They're defined by how God created them. Amen. That sounds powerful. It's, it's, it's this beautiful power in your case but it's full of power because it goes back to the creator who positioned you to function in a way like I could never function 
Some things that these three ladies just said, I can, I can never pull those things off the way they did. So praise God. He made us in his own image, and we look like male and female. And as you well, well know, um, Genesis chapter 3 rolls around, and original sin comes onto the scene. And this thing got really complicated. I'll read it to you briefly. Genesis chapter 3, then the woman convinced. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted wisdom it would give her. So she took some fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame and nakedness. And they sewed together fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. You feel the change from this perfectly functioning relationship between male and fem female, between Adam and Eve as a marriage. Now it's complicated. Verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? What's she say? The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. What did Adam say? Eve made me eat it. And what did Eve say? The serpent made me eat it. And what did they both say? God, you made the woman. God, you made the serpent. It must be your fault. It ain't my fault. They blame shift. They couldn't handle the pressure or the responsibility of the moment. Genesis 3.16, God speaks directly to the woman. Flash that up there for me if you don't mind. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth and you'll desire to control your husband, but he'll rule over you. Multiplication was supposed to be easy, ladies. <laughs> so if you ever curse, just put Eve's name at the end of it, right? Like, like she's the one that made that so hard. Don't curse. Like, I was an encouragement. Like, but like, like it, it, it went all the way back to original sin. It was supposed to be easy. And now, now it's not based on my six experiences in the room. Uh, but so was marriage. It's supposed to be easy. We got a lot of married couples in the room. If any of them say it's easy, I'm going to call them a liar <laughs> because it's not easy. It's complicated. For some, it's easier than others. There's certainly chemistry that comes easier for some couples than others. But there's always this there's a difficulty where we're different and yet equal, which makes it complicated. The equality actually makes it complicated. And then our differences mean we're not always on the same page in, in, in a variety of ways. But together, it's magic and powerful. I really want you to hear this because we've got a ton of single ladies and guys here. It's not just about marriage. Like as we think about making up a body of Christ that can make a, a difference in, in Lexington for the glory of God, we need both male and female. We need the way you're made. We need you to operate in that way for the good of this town and for the glory of God. Matter of fact, I need you to be more male and more female. And when we say that, we're taking the biblical definition, not some kind of bravado, masculine definition or some, some frilly, feminine dis definition. It's the definition that God gave. He was the creator. He made you this way. And so I, what I really want to do with this series is get us to embrace that and say, I'm going to be all woman. I'm going to be all man to the glory of God. And in one way or another, Cheryl said it this week. I thought it was cool. She says, we begin to unwind the curse of Genesis chapter 3, only through the Holy Spirit. Like you can't unwind anything God did unless God's involved. 
So the Holy Spirit enables us with our marriages to start unwinding what happened way back there in the garden. As we submit to God and submit to one another, Ephesians chapter 5, ladies, you have this picture even in Ephesians chapter 5 that teaches you how to be that word helper. And men, how to be a servant leader. Thick, we'll get to them next week. I don't have time right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says that we do it because the angels are watching. You're like, what? Extra level is that? Like, it seems as if the angels witnessed what happened in the garden, how original creation was put together, and how good it was that man and woman served together, made in the image of God. And when God watches, I mean, when the angels watch us live out the way he intended it for be, it, it actually makes them want to celebrate. It brings God glory as we act male and female. It's interesting, uh, I, I, the best illustration I could think of to make sense of this was a basketball illustration on a, lady when we're, on a day when we're talking about womanhood, which <laughs> makes no sense in some ways. I could not help but think about power and trying to connect it to beauty. Just couldn't, couldn't quite figure that out. There's, 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 seems like our world just will not agree with that as a, as a prospect. But let me, let me just state to you, this right here, the picture of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross for those of us that have believed is beautiful. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that I am the light. And you imagine that Jesus, when he shows his beauty, it's overwhelming and paralyzing. It is so powerful. So Philippians chapter 2 ca captures what Jesus did on his way to the cross. And I couldn't help but think, kind of like it was for the guys when Jesus stood in the garden and they came to arrest me. And he says, I'm right here. I'll take responsibility. Ladies, as you live like our Savior Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, he actually lays down at times his greatness and his beauty because he's on mission to please his father. You remember how it reads? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He laid it down. Though, ladies, you're made equal to every man in the room, seems like there's this possibility and obedience to God. You won't be consumed with that. That you didn't be willing not to cling to it. What does he say he does for Jesus a couple verses later? Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. I'm positive that when we get to heaven, if there's a front row, it's going to be full of ladies because they look like Jesus. Look like Jesus oftentimes in a quiet way when they lead even with power. It's done with humility when it's the biblical way. Thank you for your leadership. We'll talk a lot more practically about it next week.